December football is here, and that means we're back. Another edition of Kevin's Corner. I'm Kevin Bowen here on a Wednesday afternoon. Uh, boy, this is um, this is a big one that's had a lot of news over the last 48 hours. Obviously, a ton of info out of Houston with a uh, busting of PEDs for two of their better football players, and uh, the Colts seem to be getting a little bit healthier as well. And we'll get into the Anthony Costanzo, Rakusin situations. On this edition of Kevin's Corner, again, we're recording this Wednesday afternoon, just left Colts practice, so I have a decent idea of what the injury report looks like, but still not 100% out. Um, it'll just be me on today's podcast. Hopefully, we'll get Chris back next week, uh, but appreciate y'all tuning in Monday, and thanks to Mark Dykton for stepping into the producer chair. We'll have Twitter questions, as usual, three keys and a prediction I think last I saw, Colts were favored by three in this one. And again, a Texans team that, like I've been saying for the past few weeks, guys, this is not a your typical four and seven football team by any means. I think Deshaun Watson's having the best individual season of his career. I know wins and losses matter, you know, to some degree, but just how he's playing the quarterback position, um, pretty impressive for him, especially here as of late. So we'll get into that throughout the rest of the pod and before. We do get to Twitter questions. Let's start with Anthony Costanzo news. My assumption is he will miss uh, multiple weeks. You know, I don't know that for sure, but um, again, that is my assumption with him and that MCL injury. You know, he is a guy that has often said that you know recently he feels like he's in the best shape kind of his life. You know, even it, that he's reached. I think he's 31 years old. So there's a possibility that you can brace that up and maybe he gets back a little bit sooner, but. Um, I, I fully expect him to miss at least Sunday. And so that you know brings up the debate that we had a little bit on Monday, but I want to get into it more today, of just how you replace him and exactly what the loss of Costanzo means to this football team, which you know you guys have heard me talk about what I think he means, and as I've dove a little bit deeper into the numbers over the past couple of days, it is astonishing that an offensive lineman – means as much as Anthony Costanzo means to the Colts. Um, or to, to any football team, obviously. Uh, they are 2-11 and 11 without him in the lineup. They average 19 points per game without him in the lineup. And when you compare that to you know, other games throughout his career, and this is, what, his 10th season, it's basically like taking away a player that is worth about four points per game and if, if you look at the win-loss record, without Costanzo, you're about a two- or three-win football team over the course of a season. And with him, you're about an eight- or nine-win football team. I mean, think about that. One player, one offensive lineman means that much to your football team. Um, just here in, in, in this season, you know, Costanzo's been in the lineup for the vast majority of the year, but obviously missed the matchup with Cleveland earlier this season and then missed, what, three quarters, I guess, on Sunday. With him on the field, the Colts have scored on 46% of their drives. Without him on the field, they've scored on just 30% of their drives. So uh, I just want a few numbers to start off this podcast about just reiterating how important of a presence he is to them. I mean, we even saw it Sunday. Let's be honest. You know, you have the two flawless touchdown drives to start that game, and then boom, you've got seven straight empty drives once he leaves the game. And not only were these just empty drives, 
I want to say your longest drive was 15 yards. 15 yards. Seven series, folks. So, again, this is, um, this is the most important player on your football team. He's one of the most important players to his football team in the entire NFL. There's so much debate about how the Colts should handle this this week. I expect them to start LaRaven Clark again. I do. And I know that'll get a lot of people to turn the podcast off, you know, five minutes into it. But that's my guess on what they do. Um, I, I, I would not do that, but I guess this kind of break down a little bit of the different scenarios or, you know, ideas that certainly people have asked me about. And yeah, I'm sure the Colts briefly thought about some of this stuff on Monday. But, you know, Clark leaving him in the lineup, they continue to be bullish on him. There's a reason why. They didn't, you know, make any other move. And again, this is their opinion, clearly not my opinion. Uh, they've always been very high on him. I mean, Ryan Grigson, you know, to Chris Ballard, Chris Ballard was really high on the Raven Clark immediately. And I just totally disagree with the Colts line of thinking in that, oh, we had the best training camp of, you know, his career and this and that. How can you evaluate him at that level when there's no preseason games? And when your edge rushers have been honestly, pretty poor this season. I mean, the Colts' edge rushing has not been good. Justin Houston has regressed majorly, especially over the past month or so. Um, yeah, he, he you know he gets a mop-up sack here or there, but his consistent edge presence is not there. And then we know full well you know, what you've gotten out of your backups. So uh, I, I, I don't know how you kind of base that and, and feel, oh, wow, Clark looks this good in training camp. You know, We don't need to make any other move. And honestly, it was long before that they didn't make any other move. We're, we're talking March free agency. We're talking April draft, things like that. Uh, and, and I get it. Are you expecting the same level of play from Costanzo to Clark? Of course not. That's unrealistic when you look at the contracts and, and, and all of that. But I'm not expecting as steep of a drop-off as we've seen with him in the lineup, especially when you look across the, the, uh, the field on Sunday, and there's Tennessee with a third-string left tackle in there third stringer and you're able to rush for whatever 200 some yards and 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 you're able to produce uh 45 points the most points you've scored on the road in you know 12 years that is a third string left tackle the Colts have a backup left tackle in there a third round pick who started 15 games in the NFL Quesenberry hasn't started at all for the Titans and yet you can't even move the football so, um, again, I, I, I don't agree with it, but it looks like that's going to happen. I, I, I'm just to the point with, with Clark, it's like, why do I need to see him again? Why? You know, I, I saw the Browns game. I realized Miles Garrett is Miles Garrett, but we've seen this story well before just playing against arguably the best edge rusher in the league. And with him out there, your offense has really been probably at its worst all season. So... Uh, that, that would be option one, and again, that's the option that I think they'll go with. Uh, option two, Braden Smith or Quentin Nelson. You know, this is the riskiest one, moving one of them over. And I know this sounds sexy and like, you know, this is a good idea, blah, blah, blah. I don't think people realize how hard it would be for Quentin Nelson to move to left tackle or Braden Smith to move to left tackle. I mean, Nelson, I think, was a high school tackle. But, man, I and I should know this as a Notre Dame fan, but I can't remember him playing tackle one time in college. Maybe some practice reps his freshman year, but he certainly 
played exclusively guard. You know, Notre Dame had some great tackles throughout his time there, so they didn't really need him out there. And then Braden Smith, we know full well, was a guard for, I want to say, 39 games at Auburn and then played right tackle just two games. So there were some questions about him tackle experience-wise. So um, I think it's risky because, you know, this is the potential to kind of worsen two two, um, parts of your offensive line here. You know, there's no guarantee that Quentin Nelson to left tackle, a banged-up Quentin Nelson, who is hurt, or Braden Smith to left tackle, that all of a sudden – you're going to cure everything at left tackle, and then you still worry about filling in at right tackle or left guard. Do I think Danny Pittner, who I thought actually, going back and watching, I, I, I thought he played pretty good football outside of a few low snaps. I, I just don't think this is as, as easy as a lot of people think it is. This is not like other positions on the team where you're moving receivers around constantly or you know you have safeties kind of doing multiple you know, playing in the box and then playing deep and things like that. Obviously, running backs playing, you know, very different roles and whatnot. Uh, the, w- what I would probably try is, if healthy, um, I would go with Chaz Green. You know, again, I've already seen what you have with Clark. Uh, I thought Green at least was better than Clark when he came in the game against Green Bay when you benched the Raven Clark in that game. So why not? Um, you know, might as well throw him in there and. No matter who you have over there, you got to give them serious help. But uh, you know, Green is a guy that started at left tackle, I think, for Dallas back three or four years ago. He doesn't have a ton of starting experience in the league, but again, I've just I've kind of seen this story with Clark, and I don't think I need to see it again. But it just reiterates why it, it's so confusing to me, just the lack of attention the Colts gave their offensive line depth, particularly at at tackle. Um, this past offseason. So, again, we'll see how that plays out, how long it's going to last, but if I had to give my best guess here on Wednesday afternoon, I'd say Clark. A little briefly on Rocky's team before we get into Twitter questions. Um, and again, I, I don't necessarily expect an outright benching. I mean, honestly, you, you, you really need him. I mean, you don't have a lot of backup corner depth. You know, TJ Carey, yeah, if you play him 90% of the snaps, he's going to get exposed a little bit. We'll see. A couple people brought it to me, what about moving Carey to nickel and then Kenny Moore outside with Xavier Rhodes? Yeah, um, it's, it's interesting, but I just think Kenny Moore is such a good slot player, especially against Houston. You know, he's been so effective against the Texans. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily something that I would want to do. Uh, and and well, I guess we'll see if can Houston challenge you with that second wideout. I think without Will Fuller, I don't know if they've got the wideouts to necessarily depth-wise challenge you there. But, you know, has this gotten to the point now where, okay, Xavier Rhodes, you're going to have to shadow a Brandon Cooks because it has been such poor play, you know, from Rocky Seen on the opposite side. I think that's a fair question. And, you know, with, with Rock, you know, you, you guys certainly heard me talk about on Monday. The Colts thought he was a handsy, grabby corner from day one. I mean, we're talking first day of rookie minicamp. They thought he was that. So this is a little bit on coaching staff and a little bit on player development, both of those things, you know, that you have not gotten that corrected here as we reach, you know, whatever he is, 25 games in his NFL career, and he played so many snaps last year and, you know, has continued to play a lot of snaps this year after that injury, so... We'll see if they see a little bit of more T.J. Carey. That's fine by me, using more T.J. Carey, but 
I still stand by the when you're playing a Pittsburgh, you know, when you're playing potentially Kansas City, which is the playoff started today. That's what you that's who you'd be playing, assuming Baltimore loses to Pittsburgh later later today. Um, you know, th- that is something that I think you have to um, have to look at because you just don't have a lot of corner depth. It's not like you can just throw Rock onto the bench and never look at him again. And this staff is so bullish on him mentally and like his willingness to improve. I almost think there's a bit of a fine line between that of like he's pressing, he's almost trying too hard, if that makes sense. Like I just think you watch him and I, and I just see him panic. I see a lot of panicky moves out of him. And is that a guy pressing too much? So we'll see how Rock bounces back this week. But I did want to touch on a little bit of Anthony Costanzo, a little bit on Rock you seen here before we get into Twitter questions. All right, let's start with Ghost Visible. If the Colts had to go to emergency quarterback, who would that be? Oh, that's a good one. I think we've asked Frank Reich about this now two years in a row, and he um, he won't say, but if I had to guess, I think it's Zach Paschal. Maybe a Trey Burton, but I think Paschal's the best athlete on this football team. So, yeah, but, I mean, the Colts clearly have a plan in place. Reich was talking earlier in the week about how, you know, they have an emergency wristband that they bring to games like they know full well. Who would be that guy? Here's the plays they would run with that guy. You know, things like that. It was kind of interesting. It's kind of been a popular question this week around the NFL. I saw the Jaguars said LaVisca Schnault is their emergency quarterback. Boy, I'd love to sign me up for that week week 17 to make that an entertaining football game, but... Um, yeah, I, you know, with, with it, and this whole Denver thing, I don't know, maybe I'm in the minority with this, but like, yeah, Denver had to play like just because it's quarterback, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden they get an excuse and they can delay the game a week. Like they screwed up. Denver blatantly admitted that they didn't wear masks in their quarterback room. And once it was clear that the outbreak was not there, this was a very isolated situation with, I think it was Jeff Driscoll testing positive. And none of the other quarterbacks, you know, testing positive, but yet being high close contacts, you still have to play the game. If this was four kickers, you'd still be playing the game. So I, I, I don't feel bad for the Broncos at all. You know, it's the, the, while it is a bit of a confusing precedent the NFL has, I think with what we've seen with Baltimore, what we've seen with Tennessee, is this: if there is an outbreak, and you're getting consecutive days of positives being in the four, five, six day range. The game will be postponed. But if you have things controlled, and that and that's what the Colts, like Autry, Buckner, Taylor, they're all isolated incidents. You're going to play. And I think that the NFL has been pretty consistent with that throughout the year. All right, David says, if the Colts had not traded up in the second round for Jonathan Taylor and selected another player at a different position in their normal draft slot, what position would you have drafted instead would their record be any different? It's my guy David Thrush here asking this. Um, that's a great question. You know, I was in the tight end kind of offensive tackle camp. And, and of course, hindsight's twenty twenty, but, you know, clearly, you know, running back injury has allowed Jonathan Taylor to have a much bigger role than you possibly needed. The Julian Blackman injury has also allowed a, you know, or, or, or I should say the Malik Hooker injury has forced a lot bigger role for Julian Blackman. Um, 
what would their record be? Yeah, I mean, you know, Taylor, I think, was huge in the Green Bay game. I think you would have beat Minnesota with or without him, so I can't really go there. But I don't think he's won you any other football games by any means. And I am more of a kind of running back by approach guy and, and not too – I'm not a big investor in running back talent. So I, I think you'd be pretty similar to 7-4. and four. You know, would an offensive tackle have saved you the Cleveland game? Would it have made you more competitive against Tennessee? Yeah, I'd probably point to Cleveland more than Tennessee. I mean, that Tennessee game, you weren't, you weren't stopping Derrick Henry at all. So maybe one game better, but I don't think a whole lot. All right, Dad Talks chimes in. If the Colts and Titans both win their last five games, do the Colts make the playoffs? Plus, can they sustain a deep playoff run without Costanzo, depending on how long he is out? Thanks for all you do. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, if the Colts win five in a row, they're going to make the playoffs, certainly. Um, and even if Tennessee won five in a row, you would, you would just be a wild-card team there with that. I mean, honestly, I think four and one. Should definitely get it done. Three and two, I think it'll come down to who are the losses. You know, if you lose a divisional game and lose the Raiders, that's really going to complement, complicate some things big time there. But, yeah, I mean, if, if Anthony Costanzo's out for the season, which it doesn't sound like that's the case, but they cannot sustain a deep playoff run. No, they can't. I mean, No. That's that's not happening. All right, Brad, is the T.Y. drop-off in 2020 due to Rivers not throwing it to him or T.Y. not being able to get open? Seems like Rivers never looks his way, but is it justified? Um, You know, yes, Rivers isn't locking in on Hilton. Um, I, I don't think it's as crystal clear as, like, the two snares that you've painted here, but I will say this. You know, what we talked about in the offseason about Philip Rivers never really being – a bigger, or excuse me, a smaller wideout guy, I think that's contributing a little bit here. I mean, Michael Pittman, nine targets on Sunday. T.Y. Hilton doesn't get a target in the first half. You know, I, I, I don't expect that sort of discrepancy, you know, with those two guys right now. But I think part of that comes from Rivers' background. Uh, you know, I, I've been adamant about this all year. I think Sunday was another reminder of what you saw on that deep ball. I don't think this is necessarily a massive physical decline going off a cliff, Andre Johnson, Reggie Wayne, post-ACL thing. I mean, if Rivers leads him on the 50-yarder, it's a touchdown. You know, is T.Y. consistently getting open? No. But, again, he's never been a big catch guy. It's kind of always been those four or five catches that he just makes the big plays on. And I just don't know if this offense, it's more of a vertical passing game, but that's not saying a whole lot. You know, it's a sniff vertical last season. Um, I also find it interesting, you know, Rivers right now, probably on pace, I, I would have to double-check this and, and, and look it up. The, I feel like he's probably on pace for a career low in sacks, which is... Obviously awesome for the Colts, but it's also concerning in the, like, this is a career low in sacks, and this is the passing offense, and just the offense in general, that you're getting. Like, can you bank on that next season with him a quarterback? Brent, what would you say the chances are 
Pat McAfee is punting for the Colts this weekend. Boy, Brent, um, if I cared about my clicks like none other, I'd, I would hope 100%. But, uh, yeah, I'd go with a 2 3 3% for Pat. I think Pat's talked about it before. I know he's kicking balls in his backyard. I think he worries about that knee. He had some big-time knee issues there late in his career. And, and I do want to reiterate, because I know we didn't get a chance to talk about it a whole lot on Monday's podcast. I mean, what an incredible challenge and burden Rigoberto Sanchez had to be playing with on Sunday. You know, it sounds like the diagnosis is great and successful surgery and things are really positive on, on, on that front, which is obviously awesome. But still, just thinking about that on Sunday, and who knows, you know, when doctors go in there for surgery, they could find something totally different. I can't imagine what that was like for him and really punted very well in that game. And, and the Colts have certainly not ruled him out for this season. You know, who knows? You know, that's probably the last thing, at least this week, that, um, that they're worried about. But as of right now, the Colts have not officially signed a punter. Um, sounds like they want somebody with experience. And I am curious just kind of how having a new punter plays into Frank Reich's aggressiveness. You know, you always hear about those charts the Colts make with their analytics staff each week. The fact that you don't have an all-pro punter, because in my opinion, Rigo is that caliber of a guy, you know, how that plays into his aggressiveness and maybe a willingness to go for it even more on, on fourth down. Jordan, what are your thoughts on Kenny Stills? See, saw he clear waivers and could sign anywhere. I always like Stills, um, but I don't, I don't see the Colts doing it. I don't. Man, that Houston wideout group, you talk about that loss of Fuller is huge. I mean, we saw it on Thanksgiving, but I think I saw Staddy's fifth in the NFL in yards per route. I mean, that not having Fuller out there bumps your safeties up a couple yards every snap. And now Watson's thrown to a wideout group that, you know, it's Brandon Cooks and Kiki Kuti and a bunch of random dudes. Rob, I'm, oh, I'm glad Rob asked this. How much of Grover Stewart's recent breakout success can you attribute to the rival of Buckner? Not insinuating that he doesn't deserve a new contract, just curious. No, Rob, I, I, that's a fair question. Um, certainly some of his production, I would say some of his single teams, have come from Buckner's presence. Did you guys see that CBS graphic that they, that they showed up during the game about Buckner? I mean, it is incredible what this defense has done without, with him on the field versus without him on the field this season. Um, but, you know, going back to Stewart, and, I, and we didn't have a chance to get into this too much on Monday, so I'm glad that you brought this up, Rob. What I like is he's 27 years old. He's stands for kind of the high character, high effort, lost 40 pounds, great work ethic, just checks all those boxes. But I love his production he gives you a nose tackle. This is a guy that is not just eating up space like an Al Woods or an Obreo Franklin, or I'm trying to think of the other big wide bodies the Colts have had in recent years. He gets off these blocks and makes plays. And that's not always a given. You know, this was a fourth-round pick. It's not like he was a undrafted free agent you know fourth round pick there was some talent there that obviously the Colts felt like they could develop so 
at 27 years old, I'm perfectly fine with this move. I like that you align him and Buckner in years. I think that's really key. He's going to be playing with Buckner. You know, Buckner's what? Another four more years? And now Stewart's going to play on a similar contract length. And you're keeping those linebackers free. And boy, we saw it Sunday. When you don't keep those linebackers free, you're going to get eaten alive. So I'm good with it. I, I, I think what where people, and this will be something we get into a lot more in the offseason, what's really interesting to me is the cap situation for the Colts, it looks like a team from 1985 almost. You know, you're, you're paying a guard a ton of money. You're paying a center a ton of money. You're paying a defensive tackle a ton of money. Linebacker's going to get a lot of money. Like, that's not how the present-day NFL really looks. And, and I'm curious how the Colts will handle that moving forward. All right, Isaac says, which scenario would you choose? Give up a 2020 13th overall pick and a fourth rounder to get Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow pre-injury with the knowledge of them already able to handle the next level, or give up a 2021 first and a second and a 2022 first to get Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence. Awesome pod, Kev. Thanks. Boy, this is a good one. You know, I like these. Okay, so 13 overall and a fourth. Boy, that's not a whole lot to get Herbert or Burrow at all. Obviously, it looks like a lot when you have the um, when you have Buckner in there versus a first this April and a second, and then a future first to get Fields or Lawrence. Boy, I, I'm probably gonna do the first one. You know, I think the fact that Herbert and Burrow have shown it on some level in the NFL is so reassuring to me. Again, I I like Fields and Lawrence. I'm not like totally obsessed with them. You know, to the point of like, oh yeah, unquestionably, you got to make that move. And look, I know what, <laughs> okay, you don't have Buckner, and that is a worry, but I'm all about starting the clock. All about starting that clock. And, you know, Devil's Advocate will say, well, you know, look at Kansas City, really stable, winning seasons before Mahomes got there, could ease him into that situation. Yes, I get that. But I also think, you know, you got to trust Chris Bauer's ability to draft. I know defensive line success hasn't been great, but if I can get Herbert or, or uh, Burrow into that building, and then even in that draft, you know, I still would have had two second rounders last year and a third, and then obviously all my draft capital for, for this year, that's pretty darn good for me. Daniel, Colts have a narrow path and leeway between success and failure, whether it's depth or game plan. Between recent injuries of COVID, the window is almost closed. At this point, it may be better for them to burn out and get better draft picks compared to being the sixth or seventh seed to either lose in the first round or maybe the second round of the playoffs. What do you think? Boy, David, um, that's that's a bit harsh. I will say, like, what do you want as a fan? Like, I think it's a very small portion of the fan base that agrees with you, Daniel. Now, I, I don't think it's an outrageous point. But, you know, part of me is like this, man. <laughs> this is a crazy COVID year. I'm just happy to watch football every weekend. Like, Notre Dame gets their game canceled against Wake Forest yesterday, and I was pissed. Like, I want to watch football. I don't care if, like, oh, yeah, it's probably better for health reasons and, 
you could get some guys hurt and, you know, what? No, no, no. Like, I want to see my team play and I want to see my team win. And I totally, totally get that as a fan. Now, some people in the same fan base have a much more of a long-term look at it. And they're like, I don't care about a first-round exit. I don't care about going 9-7, and 10-6. and six. If you're mediocre, that's hell. And, like, it's tough to get out of that. So I see both sides of it. Um, you know, part of me thinks this. Anything can happen in the playoffs in 2020. Any, I mean, who knows what the hell January will look like. It's a miracle that we've made it to the month of December. I was always bullish on the NFL getting this done, but still. It's, it's, um, it is pretty crazy that they've played as many games as they have. All right, Andrew. Hi, Kevin. I hope all is well and you enjoy your Thanksgiving with your family. Same to you, Andrew, and all of our listeners out there. 12 weeks into the season, do you feel like this Colts team is capable of competing with some of the better teams if they were to make the playoffs? We've seen a lot of really good football from the Colts as well as some head scratchers too. You know, Andrew, I, I, I do think they can compete. I have questions, though, about can you do it multiple weeks? Can you do it away from home? And I believe the margin for error has gotten pretty darn thin with your health and certainly where you are standing-wise in the AFC. I mean, you've got little margin for error record-wise down the stretch. And like we said, you know, if Anthony Costanzo's injury lingers or Ryan Kelly gets banged up again or, you know, Buckner gets hurt or something like that, yeah. I, I don't see this team capable of getting it done in January. I don't love starting out on the road, which now it looks like that's what they would be doing. You know, people thought, I, I, it was kind of funny, people, I had a couple people reach out and say I was too critical on Monday about the defense. And first off, I thought I made it abundantly clear the personnel losses that the Colts had. And could keep that in great perspective and saying, we're going to talk about a 60-minute football game, and we're also going to acknowledge that as long as the Colts don't have three of their front seven guys missing, I don't expect that to be the norm moving forward. Like, you have to be able to isolate individual games, evaluate them in their own bubble, and then also have the perspective to know, okay, how does that correlate to a 16-game season? How does that correlate to the playoffs? And I, and I thought we did that on, on, on Monday, but again, I had people give me some pushback on that. But for those that can't be critical about that defensive performance on Sunday, I mean, what the hell? Eight yards per carry in the first half? 35 points allowed in the first half? The most in franchise history in Indianapolis. The most. And there were no short fields. I mean, holy hell, can we... If we can't be critical, then shit. Well, this is the National Freaking Football League. This is not the Turkey Bowl. This is not ski ball at great times. This is the National Football League, folks. Again, we can be critical and then at the same time acknowledge that, yes, you are missing personnel, but to give up the yards per carry and the points at that level, it's still embarrassing. Louisiana guy. Hi, Kevin. Uh, quick question. Uh, with Sunday's disaster, yep. how do you see our chances of getting in the playoffs or better win the division? Honestly, yesterday was painful. I guess we got this earlier in the week. 
It shows how much Buckner and Autry are missed. Yeah, I mean, I, I think better, just slightly better than a coin flip to get into the postseason. Now, to win the division, you're going to need some help. Tennessee's got Cleveland at Jacksonville, Detroit at Green Bay, and at Houston. I don't think that's an extremely easy slate by any means. The Colts have at Houston, at the Raiders, home to Houston, at Pittsburgh, home to Jacksonville. I think the Colts probably have a slightly easier schedule. But still, you're going to need multiple game help from Tennessee. So, yeah, I, I, I would put it probably, I don't know, 65% that they make the playoffs via the wild card. And, it, I mean, it would be extremely disappointing if they didn't make the playoffs. Extremely. Tyler, I'm not sure I've seen fans of a 7-4 team more willing to jump off the cliff and fire everyone from Ballard to Reich to Eberflus. If you told me this offseason we'd be 7-4 and four and wins against Tennessee, the Vikings, and the Packers, I'd sign up immediately. Great articles, Kevin. Well, Tyler, welcome to uh, fandom. <laughs> welcome to fandom, man. Expectations can be wild. You know, 7-4 at this point of the year, I, I think it's fine. I think what people are disappointed by is the embarrassing loss in Jacksonville week one and the effort given on Sunday. Matt Eberflus said that the effort and the loaves were, were great, like not very high number in that game. And, I'm, and boy, I, you're like, wait, what? So that just means the execution and you just got whipped that bad? I think that's is what that's where fans are disappointed. It is... It comes from that, the biggest game of the season, and you played like that and got beat that bad in your own building. Again, given the personnel. And the week one loss, I think, really frustrates people. And then also, the fact that we mentioned so much during the offseason, the Costanzo, 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 where's the offensive line depth, where are you going to have it, and that being two big reasons for two of your four losses, I think that's, that's frustrating for for fans, which is fine. I mean, fine. Fans should have high expectations. And are the Colts going to be competing for the division in late December? That's up in the air right now. And I think that, that frustrates some, some people. Jordan, thoughts on playing Kenny and Xavier outside and TJ Carey in the slot? Seems like that would be better than leaving Rock outside and wouldn't be a giant drop-off at the slot position. I, you know, Jordan, I first off, I... I think that's a decent idea. I disagree with it wouldn't be a giant drop-off. Kenny Moore is a playmaker from that slot spot. Blitzer, tackler in open field, what he's doing, um, you know, in-man coverage. So I, I, I do think it's a, it's a drop-off just because Kenny Moore sets such a high bar at that position. But you know what? That's, that's something to keep an eye on. It is. Connor, personally, I don't think the Colts will trade up for a QB, especially since they have Jacob Eason. I think they'll go one more year with Rivers. If the Colts go that route, would it be fair to say the Colts most likely take the offensive tackle of the future in round one and go cornerback in round two or linebacker? I don't see them taking another receiver round two, three years in a row. You know, Connor, yes, if they run it back with Rivers and Eason as the backup, my gut says that, yes, offensive tackle makes the most sense in their eyes. Again, I think quarterback, but in their eyes, 
I think that's where you would go. Um, the whole, I don't see them taking another wide receiver round two, three years in a row. I think you got to be honest with yourself and look in the mirror. And I, and I do think Chris Bowers done a nice job with this. Just because you've invested so much in wideout and missed, or at least, you know, missed is probably harsh. I should say not gotten the exact return that you were hoping for. That doesn't mean you ignore it. That doesn't mean that you write it off. And again, I think Bowers done a nice job with that on the D-line. You know, Basham is a miss. You come back the very next year, you draft Kamoko Ture. And then you draft Ben Banigou the next year. Like, it, it's something to where just because you invest a lot of those high draft picks in that position doesn't mean that you write it off. That's unfortunate, but you got to know when you make your mistakes. Craig, hey, Kevin, uh, awful game. That frankly reminded me of the Colts' D late last season. Where has Kamoko Ture been? Did he even play this week? We got no pressure on Tannehill and could have used him. Yeah, just four snaps for Ture in that game. Four. He's got 10 snaps on the year, excuse me, 14 snaps on the year. 10 against Green Bay, four against um, Tennessee. I'm not shocked. I mean, four snaps is really low, but I'm not totally shocked by it because I did feel like it's not a great Ture game. Um, Matt Eberflew said this week he really feels like more is coming from him. And he should get more opportunities, um, you know, very, very soon here. All right, we got one from uh, Primus. Hi, Kev. I don't think uh, we can glean much from Sunday's loss, but even with several D-line absences, Ben Banigou was still inactive. Rock Yusino's putrid, period. So would you rather have Montez Sweat, six sacks and ascending, or Rock Yusino and Ben Banigou? Interesting here, Primus. Um, boy, it's kind of been a while since we've brought up that that trade in um, in 2019. Is that what it was? Straight up, you trade back from 26 to 34. You got the extra second rounder. I guess that's what it was. Um. Boy, Sweat's got six sacks this year, so he's on pace for about 10. I think he had seven as a rookie. Damn, I mean, that's really good production for your first two seasons of the NFL for a pass rusher. Um, yeah, probably as of right now, I would, from what I've seen. And, and that's ultimately how, how we would judge that trade. You know, we've we've talked about that a lot. That's, you know, that's ultimately back in April 2019. That's So I remember Joey and I doing that podcast late, late, on that Thursday night when the Colts traded back and Montez Sweat, who, you know, I think was red flagged by a lot of teams with that heart condition, was taken at 26 by Washington. All right, Hillary chimes in. Kevin, I have a pod question. How is Lorraine Clark still on the team? If he fills in, the line just seems to fall apart. Seems like we need a different backup strategy. You know, Hillary, I, I am fine with having Lorraine Clark in camp. I was fine with him being re-signed. My issue is, you don't draft a tackle really in the last two drafts. I mean, you drafted Jackson Barton in round seven two years ago, and he's not on your roster. And then you did nothing in free agency. Like, it was unrealistic to expect Joe Haig to come back. You know he's going to go compete for a starting job somewhere else. So I, that's my issue. I mean, Clark on the team, okay, fine. But where is the competition that you always hear preached? Where, where is that? I, I, that was not there at tackle. Chaz Green didn't play a snap in the NFL last year. 
Andrew Donnell didn't play a snap in the NFL last year. Carter O'Donnell comes from the CFL. Like, that's not competition to me. And the Colts knew. I mean, they knew they were fortunate with their offensive line depth. And they admitted that last season. Like, not, not having to use that. That their O-line stayed so healthy. I will say, I thought Danny, Danny Pintner, going back and watching it, really good job. The low snaps are an issue just because of this offense is so predicated on timing. That's why it is an issue. But as him handling kind of just purely blocking, I thought he held his own. I mean, first career start at center. We're talking tight end, D end in college or in high school. We're talking tight end, offensive tackle in, in college. Jordy, is it safe to say DeForest Bucker could somehow be even more important than any of us thought? Boy, Jordy, when you I, – I, I go back at CBS graphic – Basically, he is um, – when Buckner's on the field, the Colts allow two yards – I think it's two yards less per carry and a yard and a half less per play. I think that's what the graphic showed. And I'm, I'm including because I added the Sunday stats onto that without him. And what was astonishing to me is every single turnover the Colts have had this year, Buckner has been on the field for. Like, they've played some 180 snaps, I want to say it is, without Buckner on the field, and they haven't gotten one turnover. And they've got whatever, 17, 18, whatever the number is. And he's been on the field for all of those. You know, Buckner's um, presence, it's kind of, to me, it's the opposite of Justin Houston. If you only looked at Justin Houston's stats, like sacks, tackle for loss, you know, you would say, okay, that's fine. You know, what do you have, 10 last year? Like, people were calling for him in the Pro Bowl. I wasn't one of those just because I didn't feel like he brought it consistently quarter one to quarter four, snap one to snap 70. Buckner brings it, but yet his tackles for loss – and his sack numbers aren't necessarily at the level you would think. But yet his impact, when you look at the team stats, it's like, holy smokes. I mean, it is absurd how much better this defense is when when he's on the field. All right, two more here. Brooks, been wondering uh, this for weeks, but uh, why won't the offense take advantage of matchups they have against other teams' corners? Big one that comes to mind is the Ravens game with Michael Pittman in the slot. Um, I mean, to be honest, Brooks, I don't know if you're watching the same team, but I, I guess, like, what are those advantages? Like, I don't know if the Colts have this superior talent advantage at wideout versus opposing corners. I think it's a much more of a schematic thing. You know, yes, you know, you, you, you do. I want to see Pittman, I guess, show a little bit more just beating press and posting up, guys. I, I do want to see a little bit more of that from him, but I, I just think the Colts struggle a bit. Just individually, wide out versus corner matchups. All right, and we'll conclude with Bailey. How do you see the AFC South finishing up? Tennessee sitting at 8-3, and 3-1, three, three and one in the division, only lost to the Colts. 
and we're 12 weeks in, still haven't even played Houston, and there's still plenty of football for Houston to catch a groove. Yeah, I mean, Houston's not winning the division, let's be honest. I mean, four and seven, I can't see that happening. Yeah, I'll probably go with Tennessee to win it, but I, I, I don't think their schedule is a, is a pushover. I just don't think the Colts can you know, put 5-0 and pressure on them, which is probably what it would take, honestly. Uh, you know, maybe 4-1 and to really pressure them there. All right, let's get into three keys and a prediction. Colts, Texans, uh, it is weird. You know, we talked about this, the scheduling quirk. You play two divisional games in three weeks, like you just finished up with Tennessee, and now you'll do it with Houston. Of course, caught some great breaks earlier in the week with the Will Fuller, Bradley Roby thing. Uh, one thing on Roby, I mentioned Fuller and his importance. The Texans have played... I think I had this right. They've, they've either won the game or been in one possession of every game but one since week two. So very competitive since week two. The one game was Green Bay, and Bradley Roby played three snaps. So that's a big loss that they have a, at, at corner there. Um, so, yeah, three keys. Okay, uh, make Deshaun Watson use his progressions or go through his progressions, I probably should say. Uh, you know, he can beat you. I mean, he I mean, he might be the second-best quarterback on the schedule. And he's a lot different than Lamar Jackson. I thought Justin Houston made a good point of this today. He's stronger. You know, he kind of bounces off guys a little bit easier than just a pure runner that I think a lot of people categorize him as well. But without Fuller, without Randall Cobb, without Kenny Stills, you know, question marks about David Johnson, make him use his progression. You're going to see some RPO stuff. You, you, you're going to see some college. They're going to use a little spread as well. But the Colts have had success against Watson, especially pressuring him. So I, I think that is a big, big deal. Um, I would say key number two is just what does that left tackle situation look like for the Colts? How much help are you given there? What's the balance of help and skill, guys? I think you can run it pretty successfully against Houston. They're a poor run defense. I think you can run it, especially up the middle, on them. And I think you have to do that. You've got to alleviate some of the pressure off of, um, off of Phillip. You know, think about that Cleveland game when you didn't have Costanzo. You got behind, you got in obvious passing situations. Tennessee, you got behind, you got in obvious passing situations. If you can stay in phase more, that's going to alleviate some of the pressure off, off, um, off the Raven-Clark. All right, and the key number three, tap into the T.Y. Hilton Magic. I mean, this is a um, – <laughs> Romeo Cornell has been in Houston since 2014. So, I mean, think about it like that. He's been there for that long. He's seen the T.Y. Hilton a whole lot, a whole lot. So you've got to try and tap into that. They're going to double him. They're going to treat him like he's a bona fide number one. That should open some things up for, for other people. It is absurd, again, what T.Y. Hilton has done against the Texans. He is their daddy. Looking at the stats this week, he has averaged 21.1 yards per reception when playing at NRG Stadium. And 12 yards per target. Just throw the ball towards him and you're going to get 12 yards. I mean, that is, uh, it's just mind-boggling how much he's torn up the Houston Texans. But try and tap into that. Try to build off 
that that second half. Might just not be outright T.Y. Hilton numbers, but does that open things up for the tight ends or some of the other wideouts for, for your run game? You know, things like that. So I think Colts get it done. Got to get off the better starts. You know, they've allowed, I think, I want to say it's the most first-half points in the league since week five. So you got to get off the better starts. But I'll go with Colts 27-24. The loss of Fuller, the loss of Roby is big news. And we'll, we'll see how the rest of the week plays out. You know, Jonathan Taylor's back. You know, DeForest Buckner, Danico Autry have a chance to be back. We'll, but it seems like the Colts are getting a little bit. Ryan Kelly back. You know, Bobby O'Kreeke, didn't practice on Wednesday, so we'll see how that plays out. But this is big. Uh, right now, the Colts have a 54% chance to make the playoffs. With the win, that would climb to 73%. A loss, that drops to 32 So again, divisional wins, conference wins, hell, any win right now just means a whole lot. means a whole, whole lot. All right, everybody, uh, Colts-Texans, Sunday, 1 o'clock, CBS. We'll be back Monday. Um, If Chris can't make it, we'll have Mark Dykton fill in again on the podcast. And then, um, again, we'll get into this Monday-Wednesday rhythm here. For, uh, for quite a while. Everybody have a great weekend, and uh, you guys know where to find me, and we'll have updates on 107.5thefan.com. See ya.